let's descend the podcast into a bit of chaos. More chaos. More chaos. That electric moment when a ball hits the back of the net. Unbelievable game. Two great teams going at it. Compared to the other three beside him, he just looks like the new cafe or something. We are making a documentary about how shit our club is. <laughs> VR is bullshit. Who is the biggest cheater in football tonight? Harry Kane, without a fucking doubt. Without a fucking doubt. Hello and welcome to another Thursday Night Bobble here at... Yes, I did go there. I did say it. And you know what? Neither Branton or Phil can say fuck all to me because they're not on the pod tonight. I am joined tonight by the very bold one himself, who, by the way, if you've noticed, only got his picture on the cover this week. If anyone's noticed that, Steve, how's it going? Yeah, I'm instantly getting burned by our listeners on Twitter uh, as soon as my picture got up there. So uh, thanks for that, Ryza. <laughs> I think everyone was just kind of trying to put a face to the voice. Do you ever do that? I do that a lot with podcasts that I listen to and I don't know what they look like. Yeah, and like I don't help because my uh like my avatar on Twitter is a cartoon drawing of myself rather than my actual picture. So it was it was probably a big surprise for a lot of people what I actually look like. Where where did you get that little avatar? Because it's always kind of intrigued me in a way. Uh it was done for work. Um and what they uh added to to my um beard they took away from my hairline in it so <laughs> not quite reflective of it it's like if you like it's like a police sketch drawing <laughs> described as suspect uh it's pretty close but yeah that's I mean, where, where i got it you, you look well to be fair you know yeah 10 years younger i think easily <laughs> yeah so i mean we've got plenty to talk about tonight um We'll probably kick off with Ballon d'Or nominees because there are a few sort of questions, sort of topics on Newcastle. Again, I know maybe people are fed up hearing about Newcastle, but you know what? We'll do whatever the fuck we want because as Phil says, it's a Thursday night battle. So Ballon d'Or nominees, Steve, who do you think is the favourite? And I mean, we had a quick look there at the list before we come on. and Some of them are quite baffling. <laughs> um, yeah. Do you think? Do you think it's it's gonna be Messi or Ronaldo again? You know, Haaland's in there. Um, I mean, I'm just seeing Harry Kane's there as well. You know, all right. Um, Jorginho has been one that's been quite. I don't know. People have been split on why he's there. Um, he's obviously had a great year in terms of what he's won, mm. but. And I think maybe was it you said that you tipped Jorginho? Yeah, I did. Yeah, way back um, in the summer. I think it was maybe during one of our like Euro uh, Euro pods. I thought that like considering everything he's won this year and the fact that he, you know, he's not he's never been like the focus player for either club or country, but you always remember his performances, and I thought that would would help him. He feels a bit like. Um, Luka Modric in, in 2018, like, you know, one of the best players, not necessarily the best player with his club or country, but good enough that and has done so well at club and country that 
it should be should be kind of recognised. Like, I mean, it feels like I mean since I think two thousand and eight, Messi has won it six times and Ronaldo five. So it's almost like Ronaldo's due his sixth one, so they can keep them together. And like to be fair, in most of those years, it was very difficult to kind of like argue that not either one of those two wasn't the 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 best player in the world but mm-hmm. I think too many players have emerged since then I think you know Kante, Jorginho, Haaland, Salah like I mean there's so many really good players playing at the top of their game and there's a really compelling argument that neither Ronaldo nor Messi are playing at the top of their game and in fact playing well below it so I'd be stunned if it was either of the two of them. Yeah I seen United posted up today about Ronaldo being a Ballon d'Or nominee. Um, it's kind of like someone taking credit for work somebody else done to me. Um, you know, they've really kind of advertised it quite a bit on their social pages, but you know, whatever. Um, I suppose with, in terms of Jorginho, I mean, you have to look at club level. If, if Kante wasn't there, does Jorginho get the time, get the space to do what? What, what he can. We all know he's a great player. Like Man City were after him, while Chelsea were, were in for him as well. So, I mean, for me personally, he wouldn't be the winner of the Ballon d'Or. Um, yes, he's had a great, great year trophy wise, mm. but there's, there's other players out there that, that have been, I think, more exciting. Um, you look at, at Haaland, for example, he, he's been absolutely incredible, scoring great goals. Uh, Lukaku had a great season. I wouldn't say Lukaku would be number one for winning it, but, you know, he, he's had a great season. Um, and, and there's other players on that list as well that, that maybe maybe would be ahead of Jorginho, but even even Kante himself. Like, N'Golo yeah. Kante, probably, if football wasn't so diversive and, you know, like Kante is seen as probably a defensive midfielder, even though I believe he's more box-to-box. Yeah. But he definitely deserves to be right up there in the mix for it. I know, was it, was it somebody said, Virgil van Dijk, did he finish seven votes off winning Ballon d'Or there? Was it a year or two ago? Yeah, two years ago, I think. Yeah. like You look at players like that and you're kind of like, it would be nice to see somebody like that winning. And it is getting a bit boring seeing Messi and Ronaldo win at most years. Like even Lewandowski, like what, what a player. The amount of goals that guy scores is crazy. And I know some people will argue that it is just the Bundesliga, but I mean, you can only score what in front of what's ahead of you. So yeah, maybe somebody like like Lewandowski would, would be um, right up there as well. I don't know. We'll, we'll find out. And I think it's isn't it December or yeah, usually I think so. Like they're, they've obviously to narrow down the thirty person shortlist. Um, yeah. right away then. I think what for me, like obviously I've a vested interest because as I said, I did tip Jorginho way back that <clears> I like, thought he he was in with a shape, but like. I think what separates him from Kante, say, for example, is that he definitely had a better Euros than Kante. Um, Mm. I think where he struggles is, like, he doesn't do, you know, he doesn't make the big defensive stop that you kind of, you see Kante make. And I I think you're right. Kante, to me, is, you know, the evolution of the type of footballer that Roy Keane was, that box-to-box midfielder. Mm. He's known as one thing as a defensive midfielder, but it was actually a box-to-box midfielder. And I think Kante is the same. Um, but Jorginho doesn't necessarily get involved too much in shots or open, you know, attacking from open play. Obviously, he's a few goals from set pieces and stuff like that. But I think what it is is 
his it's his distribution and it's the number of key passes he's involved in and things like that. Like which, you know, any probably football purist is probably listening off for fuck's sake, he's gonna talk about expecting goals next. Like but it, it's true, like the like he's he's involved in the passing moves that matter both for Chelsea and for Italy. And if his his national team manager with all the wealth of talent he has at his disposal in Italy says that he's the best player in his squad and his club team manager says he's the deserving winner of the Ballon d'Or. I think that's kind of good enough for me. And I know they're both more, they're both very technically minded coaches and maybe it's one of those things, you know, you know, the way you hear comedians talk about like another comedian as being, you know, oh, like technically brilliant and, and yeah, he might not necessarily be funny to your average Joe or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, I feel like Jorginho is a little bit like that, that like really technical scouts and managers and players rate him really highly. Mm-hmm. Your kind of casual fan don't, doesn't necessarily see it. So I get that as well. Now, we all know casual fans are fucking idiots. Like we're casual yeah. fans. Um, but the, there's two players, <clears throat> excuse me, on the list that, now there are two separate ends of the scale, I believe, but I'm going to ask you about one that we were surprised only made his appearance on this list for the first time, Giorgio Chiellini. Um, I mean, the man's just a absolute machine at defending. I mean, for any young lad growing up who wants to be a defender, like who really wants to be a Gary Neville, as they say, but, you know, who... Wouldn't want to be a Giorgio Chiellini, the man, just the age of him too, like the performances he put in in the Euros. And what, what was quite interesting was at the final, you could see him going over when they were clipping the coin for who's going to kick off. Like he was even at that stage in the year of the England players, you know, which I thought was yeah, great. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think he'll win it, but I mean, it's nice to see him there. And I think it's a bit crazy that in his late thirties, that's the first time he's actually made it on to this list. There is another player on this list now that I don't think anyone on this podcast is a fan of. Phil Foden. Yeah. Um, I think, I can, I think I can see why certain people maybe have voted for him to be on this list, but let's be quite honest. He's, he's a complete fraud and he had one good, good game against Liverpool and now he's up for the Ballon d'Or. I mean, in my opinion, I'm just, people will just say I'm being best. But Bukayo Saka is a far better footballer than Phil Foden and should be on that list ahead of him. But he's not. Yeah. Yeah, I, don't, I don't understand why the fuck Phil Foden is on the fucking shortlist with the Ballon d'Or. Can, can, can you explain I, that? I, I can't, but also I can't explain why Aspilicet is on the list either. Like it is a, there are some odd names in there. But no, Foden is the one that initially stood out to me as well as, whoa, 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 what's he doing there? I'll even admit that Pedri had... A good Euros, so despite my my claim pre-tournament that he was going to be a flop, um, I thought Foden obviously was dropped from you know the England team, the England squad for for the Euros, uh, and yeah, as you said, one one good game for Manchester City since crowds came back, and that was against a forty-eight-year-old uh, right back playing out of position, so. Um, I wouldn't be getting carried away with Phil Foden for the Ballon d'Or uh, uh, talk just yet. But like, I suppose they probably had to get to a round number, and you know his Gaza haircut probably stood out or something. I don't know. So that's the only thing I can think of. Uh, it it probably was. Um, well, it's not in my opinion, but probably some people thought it was worthy of being on the Ballon d'Or list. Um, <clears throat> there there is a few Chelsea players on that list, and I suppose that reflects how 
Um, well, especially this the latter half of the season, how well they've done. Um, it kind of is telling when when there is so many players from one team in the in the shortlist. But we, we'll see who wins that. To be quite honest, I have no real interest myself because like I don't really want any of them comes to win it. But anyway, <laughs> moving swiftly on, uh, the Premier League is back, Steve. It's back this weekend, and I am a wee bit buzzed. Because I am not a big fan of international football, as you know. Yeah. Um, I think it's a waste of fucking time. Um, I was going to chat briefly about the Nations League, but you know what? On reflection, I was just like, who gives a fuck? <laughs> and funny enough, we, we'll just, we will just sort of kind of talk about Tito Corta and what he said. Um, and I think maybe Brenton sent it into our WhatsApp group. I don't know if you got a chance to read that. But basically, he's just, it seems like he's pretty pissed that players are being worn out and having to play extra games. Like, a third and fourth place playoff for the Nations League was just completely unnecessary. Yeah. Um, and, and he's right, players are going to be injured before the Qatar World Cup, and I think he maybe mentioned that. It's just madness, and this is just the whole point of money, money, driving the game, because they've got TV rights to show a game. Like, let's be honest, nobody gave a fuck about the final. Never mind a third place playoff. And it is, players are just going to end up injured for months, maybe even out for a year, depending on how bad of injuries they get this season. It's just, I just think it's wild to have a third place play after the Nations League. Like, who really gives a fuck? It's wild that they have a final for the Nations League. <laughs> Never mind the third place play playoff. Like, I, right, I, like, uh, I watched the two semi-finals because they were better than the other friendlies that were on, uh, or oh, sorry, other international qualifiers that were on. Uh, it was just Ireland that were playing friendly on the Tuesday night. But um, I I thought the two semi-finals were decent. But again, it was like all I kept thinking was we're still in the middle of a global pandemic. Why are we playing international football? Like it makes no sense to me whatsoever, especially for a World Cup that you know. We're all kind of, you know, we've stated our position on where we stand on Qatar 2022. Like, um, but yeah, I, I thought Courtois' comments were really, really good. Now, the usual people came out and said, oh, but he's on £40,000 a week. He should just suck it up. Exhaustion's exhaustion. <laughs> and like, when you're fucking tired, like, there is, and, 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 you know, playing meaningless games, the risk of injury goes right up. Um, so I can completely see where he's coming from because, like, uh, you know, for not necessarily for him who's kind of edging towards the end of his career, but for a younger player, say, for example, imagine you picked up a cruciate injury, you know, in a Nations League third, fourth place playoff, and then you're out for your club for six months. Like, you might never come back from that. It's silly stuff like that like, that I just, like, unnecessary. I, I don't even agree with, like, third, fourth place playoffs in, like, actual tournaments that mean anything, never mind the Nations League. So, mm-hmm. um, I think, you know, do what they do in boxing and, and share the third place. Like, it's, it's, re- it's not like it matters to anyone. Nobody's going to tell their grandkids that they came third in the Nations League. So, um, I tend to agree with them a lot, but I'm, I'm, I'm like you. I'm, I'm not a huge fan of international football. I think there's too many international football breaks. I think I'd almost rather if they gave club football a month off, you know, once a year and then wrapped up all the qualifiers in like a little mini tournament or something. 
Um, I'd much rather that than than this nonsense because you know certain teams are only getting into the swing of things, and then all of a sudden they're losing players for 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 two weeks at a time, and likewise clubs that were maybe on the slide get a chance now to to reassess and uh, and it, I don't know it just feels like some some teams have an unfair advantage from it. Um, Even your own club's been affected. Like Manchester now have lost Rafa Varane for yeah. a number of weeks. Um, and that's a big blow to Man United, you know, especially with with a big game against Liverpool coming up. You know, you want your your best players on the pitch for those games, and like I know there is meant to be a point in the Nations League. I just I haven't cared enough to look, you know. And I know some teams gets isn't it a backdoor pass into the Euros or something through it. I I don't know. Like I really yeah. don't give a fuck. It, it's just so pointless. And you know, having a World Cup, like the talk of having a World Cup every two years, just adds to this whole. Like, are you for real? Do you know? Like, these players are just going to be exhausted. And I used to be one of these people that used to say, oh, they're getting paid 100 grand a week and whatever. But when you really break it down and think about it, you know, these guys are traveling from London, Liverpool, Manchester, wherever, and going to other sides of the world and Africa and, you know, parts of America. Like, it's the, the traveling alone is just. We all know what it's like going on a long flight on a holiday. You're exhausted the first day and it takes you a day or two to kind of get to get yourself accustomed to the time difference maybe. But you have to understand, like, yes, these guys are getting paid all this money, but still they're, they're going away in the middle of a global pandemic. Um, some players can't come straight back. I think Bill might have mentioned it before. The teams from uh, the guys going to play for teams in South America maybe have to do certain quarantine or stuff. I don't know if that still applies, but. It's just so pointless, and I don't know. Like I, I, I know Brenton has chatted about he likes the Nations League and can see the benefits of it, but I just don't like it. I think it's another waste of time for for clubs and for players, and it's just all money driven. I think, and that's just my view on it. I know some people might enjoy it, enjoy international football, like Paddy loves going to watch Northern Ireland, and I completely get that. But it's just it's just not for me personally. Yeah. No, and, and like look, it, part of my thoughts on it is probably from how shy Ireland have been for the last while. Uh, obviously, it looked like there were signs of improvement this week, but I still, I would still rather watch a Champions League game, a Europa League game, a Championship game, a Premier League game, a League of Ireland game, an Irish League game over international football most times, because it just it's. So much of it is just nonsense. Like I, I really agree with you there. Would you not really want to watch the real CR seven every week? Well, if you can play like that every week, he won't. <laughs> he might be the real CR seven. But like, it helps play two of the worst goalkeepers in world football. I would say now two of his goals were really good. Two of them were were very very lucky. Um, but I thought he played really really well. And I, again, like again, you have to take the opposition into account. But like. You know, seven goals, none conceded, two wins. Like you can't really ask for more, even if you don't enjoy the concept of international football. Felt like a job, kind of well done. And a really, really class kit. Um, oh, the blue. So nice. I don't know. Do you know the origins of the blue kit? Because I seen a lot of people argue about this online about why are Ireland playing in blue, but apparently. There is some connection to a blue kit from the past. Like, did Ireland used to wear blue, or, or what? What is the story with that? 
Yeah, they did, and it's it's called St. Patrick's Blue, because apparently St. Patrick was always blue before, you know, we turned green for the Americans. A bit like Santi and uh, going red for Coca-Cola or whatever. Um, but I believe 100 years ago they wore a blue jersey, um, and that was uh, my understanding. Now, what I did like about it was the yellow goalkeeper kit, because I'm fully convinced Ireland should always have a yellow uh a yellow goalkeeping kit. But yeah, mm-hmm. I think when the FAI set up initially, before um, the split between the two international teams, uh, they wore blue. That is my understanding. And did so at like the Olympics in 1924 or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a really nice, like, I think the kit itself, I love minimal, like Rangers released a new minimalist white kit this evening. Absolutely stunning. Like all teams should be going for these solid blocks of colour, big badge, very small um makers logo on it. Just get on with things. Like that's the way I like my kits. So, yeah. No sponsors at all will be no great. Yeah. But back back to the original point before yes. I say track the sorry. The Premier League's back. Um Manchester United have what would probably be a tricky enough away trip to Leicester on Saturday. Yeah, this is one of those ones where I kind of think they might be all right. Um, traditionally, like, kind of, um, Leicester games have been okay. Like, obviously, they beat Leicester to qualify for Europe a couple of seasons ago. Um, it's hard to know what Leicester are under Brendan Rodgers. Like, where are they? Like, 13th in the table? One win in their last five, like, eight points from seven games. It's not great for Leicester, is it? Like, at all. Um, like even we are above them. That's that's saying something. Arsenal are above <laughs> Leicester in the league. Yeah, Crystal Palace are like almost level on points with them. Like I mean, they're only there's only a point between them. Uh, with very similar stats in terms of goals scored and goals conceded. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I I think yeah, it's it's going to be it, it depends on how Leicester set up. If they set up to counter attack, well, that's United's kryptonite, and um, they'll it will be their undoing. It has it to me. It has the an absolute bang of a one-all draw uh, off it. Um, <laughs> just that's exactly what I could. Um, I, I, I'm not a, I'm not a big gambler, but if I, if I was, I'd be putting the mortgage on it. I think. Mm, I think it'll, it'll be interesting to see how Harry Maguire gets on this weekend with Ever Brown. But sure, it'll probably be a Jimmy Vardy on goal. He'll head it off his arson in. But yeah, <laughs> anyway, uh, the other boys' teams, Liverpool are way to Watford and Chelsea. Have a, a decent test there away to Brentford. Uh, it's the Saturday evening kickoff. We'll, um, Brentford have had a very good start to the season, and I think this will be a, a good proper test for Chelsea. Um, Chelsea have had some pretty tough games to start off the season with. Like Brenton said, there's there's Arsenal played away, and they played City and Liverpool. Mm. So, and I think Brentford will be a, a good test for them. Um, Hopefully they beat them because fuck Chelsea, who quite honest. How do you like? How do you like that, Britain? Uh, Watford. I kind of have a bit of a soft spot for Watford because they kind of done Liverpool out of their unbeaten run, and I was absolutely delighted when that happens. Can't lie. <laughs> um, yes, we are getting our digs in now, Phil. So yes. it, it is coming. And um, you, you let Steve come on this pod with me. It was your decision, so <laughs> you will suffer the consequences. Steve, um, say whatever you want. Whatever you want about Liverpool, go on ahead. What, what do you What do you think is going to happen on? on Saturday afternoon at, at Watford? I have a sneaky suspicion that we're going to lose that game. Uh, and that's not just to, to troll the lads. Um, 
it feels like one of those games back off an international break. Watford with, uh, as always the case with, with, um, <laughs> with Watford kind of upheaval, I suppose, behind the scenes. Um, but I, I don't know. Liverpool come off the back of like, a really, really bad first half against um against Man City. Uh but bounced back really well in the second half. I thought we I think we all kinda of thought it was one of the games of the season. Mm-hmm. But it'd be really interesting to kind of see the bounce, the new manager bounce from Watford and things like that if it if it um if it happens. Um but I don't know, I just there's something something about Ranieri coming in Getting that teams a little bit more settled than they maybe have been, and and them sneaking a result at Vicarage Road, I think. Um, but I think going back to Brentford, Chelsea, I think that's the game of the weekend. I think Brentford have been really, really uh, good to watch, uh, and be very interesting to see the kind of tactical battle that plays out there. I think that's going to be going to be really good to watch, and then. I've been told to ask you, will you be supporting uh, Spurs this weekend, considering who Spurs are playing? <laughs> well, that, that kind of um, segues into another part of our conversation. Um, yeah, I've had to think about this. And, I mean, that probably is, like, I agree, Brentford-Chelsea probably is the game of the weekend. But I think the story of the weekend is um, the late kickoff on Sunday. Newcastle against Spurs. Um, nah, I won't be supporting Spurs. Fuck them guys. Um, like, I mean, I don't like what's going on at Newcastle, but they're not really at the stage now where I'm really going to hate them because they pretty much still have a shit team. Um, and I think most Newcastle fans would, would accept that, but they, they know that better things are coming and there's no doubt. It'll be interesting to see what sort of bounce they have with the new owners being in uh, on Sunday. Um, I think it could be a close game, to be honest. Like, Harry Kane has not been hitting anywhere near the same heights he has been in previous seasons for Spurs. Um, so so it will, it will be quite interesting. Um, I think everybody will be keeping an eye on that one. I actually think that's a decent... Um, there's two decent games there on Sunday. Everton West Ham, that'll be, that'll be a decent enough game as well. Arsenal don't play to the Monday, so, I mean, we, we, we can kind of maybe look ahead to that on, on Sunday night. Mm. And... That's obviously against Big Paddy Vieira. Um, but Newcastle, Steve, like, firstly, what, what, what way do you think that's going to go on Sunday before we kind of get into the nitty gritty of the rest of the conversation on Newcastle? Yeah, it's two teams who aren't really doing all that well, are they? Um, yeah, you, you'd, you'd think that maybe there'd be a reaction with the, uh, the owners, the new owners there and things like that. I'm actually surprised to see Bruce has has managed to stay in charge for the game as well, which I, I don't think mm-hmm. I was expecting it. I think Newcastle will probably lose. I mean, they haven't been great this season. Um thought their probably best performance was against United, um, where they maybe should have got more out of the game. Um, but for some interesting goalkeeping, probably the best way to call it. Uh, Spurs, I'm actually, like, I, I'm constantly surprised that it feels like Spurs have done worse than than their kind of record shows. Like, if you know what I mean. Like, you know, mm-hmm. we're talking about how well Brentford has started the season, and we're talking about how badly Spurs have, and they're on the same, they're level on points. Like, you know, um, yeah. 
I think it was because Spurs declared themselves Premier League champions so early in the season. Um, As they always do, yeah. Yeah, you know, they had to they had to Spurs it up eventually. So, yeah, it's... I don't know what Spurs are at the moment. It feels like they're a team that are still suffering the legacy of Jose Mourinho a little bit. Um, which is surprising, uh, considering the coaching setup there now, the way they're playing football. It's not what I would have expected, um, considering what he did at Wolves. So I, I, yeah, I'm, I think Newcastle will get a bounce there and, and, and maybe sneak an, sneak a win, I think. Um, but hopefully that's the last win of the season. They do get relegated. Yeah, it, it would be, it would be lovely. Um, sorry, Figo, if you are listening. Um, we do want to see the turn go down. On sorry, well, you know what? I'm not really sorry. I don't really give a fuck. No, not really at all. Like, um, in terms of Newcastle, I mean, we had a we had a question on them. Um, from one of our regular listeners, sorry, Arn. Um, Arn asked us, are Newcastle the biggest underachieving club in European football? It was a great question. It was it actually it was one of those questions where I was you know you're 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 absentmindedly scanning your feed or whatever and uh, uh, I saw it come in and it made me sit back in my chair and go, Phew, I actually don't know. Um, it feels like they're right up there. Um, it feels like they're right up there. And my my initial reaction to them on Twitter was, I feel like Roma or any of the German clubs that aren't Munich or Dortmund. Are probably right up there, uh, just in terms of, you know, they're huge clubs that it recognise the you know, global appeal that Newcastle just don't have. As much as Newcastle fans talk about them being a big club, they they are not until the last few weeks a globally recognised club. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's the difference. I think in terms of English clubs, absolutely. Um, I was looking, I, I, and I had a quick look at what other people were kind of thinking, like, along the lines. Arsenal keep coming up as, like, a, a club, an underperforming club, and I just keep thinking, of, Arsenal have a number of Premier League titles in, in living memory. He had 16 years in succession in the Champions League or whatever it was. I don't think you could call Arsenal an underperforming club at all. Um, to but, be honest, yeah. I, I would. Would you? Yeah, I would, yeah. Um. And my reason why is for the size of Arsenal, you know, in 2004, the Invincible team, I think as great of an achievement that was, I think that team massively underachieved. I think that period of time, I think they definitely should have won at least one Champions League and they didn't. Um, The year Porto won it was a year Arsenal should have won on and won the Champions Mm -hmm. League. Um, Chelsea put us out in the, the quarterfinals, I think it was. And that season, like that was one of Bramford's, that was his first year he'd taken over. But we, we had kind of done battle a lot with Chelsea that year in the FA Cup and the league and so on. And we, we'd managed to get through those ties and those league games. But I mean, it, yeah, Arsenal are, in terms of success and trophies, yeah, they are the third most successful team in, in English history. But yeah, there are, you look back, especially over the last 15, 20 years and think they, they definitely could have achieved a lot more. Like, um, we had players that left us, the likes of Fabregas and Van Persie, because like we finished top four every year, like you said, for 20, 20, 20, 20 21 years in a row. Um, but still that wasn't good enough for those players. You know, they wanted 
the assurance they were going to win something and you know that was that was never obviously guaranteed to them at the time when they were at the club so yeah I, I would say Arsenal are are have underachieved definitely um but not not to the same level as Newcastle like yes I, I get the point Newcastle fans like it, they, have a, they have a great fan base in Newcastle like the size of the stadium the fan base you know it's fantastic the atmosphere they can create at St James's Park is great like I went to St James's Park um two years ago and it was actually the day before the start of the season which by the way Arsenal were playing Newcastle it just was so it's mm. pure coincidence um and it was great like I mean the stadium was class we done the stadium tour uh, sat in the, the nine bar, which apparently used to be called the Shearer bar, and it was just yeah, you could definitely see yourself sitting there on a Saturday having a couple of pints and and going watching the game of football. It was it was amazing just seeing a football stadium right in the city centre. You know, it, it's it's quite unusual to see that, um, especially in nowadays. Um, very very weird, but really cool. Um, and they are like you know. When, when you chat about Newcastle and then you look back at what they have achieved, like, I think it was the 1950s, wasn't the last time they actually won a major trophy? Like, we understand they've won the championship a few times, but it's, it's not really seen as a major trophy. And, yeah, you, you, it did, it pickled my mind as well when I seen the question. I actually did give it a bit of thought and, like, who out there, like you say about Roma, yeah, but Roma are going up against the likes of, you know, your Milan's and Juventus and, teams like that and it, it, it is quite incredible for, for a club with probably the well especially the local fan base they have the size of the stadium even Bobby Robson when he was in charge like that was a great Newcastle team they had uh, Lauren Rebeur and Craig Bellamy Shearer Kieran Dyer as much as maybe some people don't like them you know they were all good footballers and they had a decent team they challenged for top four of Champions League like, mm. I think maybe was it you said on Sunday night you know, when the positions they finished when was the last time they finished top four. Um, but, yeah, like, it, it is kind of hard to, to think of another team that has been so underachieving, but it has, it is down to ownership. It goes down, it goes back to that conversation about you can have billionaire owners, but if they don't give a shit, you're not going to be successful. Yeah. And I just think that's, that's been Newcastle's problem. It is, yeah. And, like, Considering they packed out that stadium every single week uh, that they had a home game, regardless of what their position was in the league, you know, that's a lot of revenue coming in. And championship, it's decent money in the championship and things like that. There's no reason that that's a team that shouldn't be competing. You know, like if Leicester can do it, if Blackburn can do it, if, you know, Spurs can do it for three weeks of the year. There's no, there's no reason at all that like Newcastle camp couldn't have been there thereabouts without this investment, you know. But mm-hmm. you're right, it's, it's, it's not even, it's not even about the amount of money that put that's put in. It's about an owner coming in and going, yeah, we are going to win the league. I am going to do whatever it takes, whether it's getting in. I look at Liverpool, like, you know, years and years of 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 trying different things and you know ultimately what it took was signing a world-class goalkeeper a world-class center half and probably the best manager in world football like it it like sometimes no matter with the best will in the world it does take something special to get you over the top but at least Liverpool were you know they had Champions League titles in that time and they were challenging for league titles 
Newcastle could never say that for one or two occasions, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think from that point of view, it is. But like also, that's why I was thinking Roma. Like Roma don't have that many league titles to their name, you know, in the last fifty years. They've always been overshadowed by both Lazio in their own city and then the two Milan clubs as well. So, uh, and now obviously the emergence of Atlanta and things like that, like, are, is a big deal. I think you can probably look to Spain. You can look at obviously Barcelona, Madrid have dominated that so much that it, it's some achievement for Atletico to kind of break through the way they have. But you look at a team like Athletic Bilbao that's been around forever, like, and, you know, has, has traditionally always been there or thereabouts in Spain and yet never managed to kind of quite do it in Europe and things like that. So I think there's a lot of kind of, I don't know, is it a badge of honor for the fans of these teams to be like an underachieving team or do you think it's something they look at and go, Jesus, I wish, I wish we'd gone just a little bit more. I think for Newcastle, it's the pride of a one club city. Like you look at Manchester's two clubs, Liverpool's two clubs, London has, Jesus, like so many clubs. There's only one team in Newcastle and the entire city is behind them. Um, and I think what's quite interesting about the comparison with Newcastle and Roma, granted Alan Shearer didn't win the league with Newcastle, but he only won one league title and so did Francesco Totti mm. with Roma. Um, but Totti probably could have moved from Roma umpteen times. But he, he was just loyal to Roma and I think that one league title he got with Roma was just, that was enough for him. I know some players have to go on and win multiple titles and so on, whatever, but he was just happy enough to stay there, win a league title and just become a club legend. And that's, that's what Tully is and he would remember that. Same as Alan Shearer with, yeah. with, with Newcastle. Um, I think Toddy has said before that that one league title with Roma meant more to him than winning 10 would have with one of the Milan clubs. You know, and, and I think that's like, that's so, that's, and that's going to be an increasingly rare thing in football. Um, but I think it's an, in, like, I think it's an incredible statement from, from a player who's not that long retired. You know, it's not like he's, you know, obviously he, he started playing years and years ago, but like it, it, it just feels like it's not something you'd hear from another player now. Like there's, like it, it, maybe it's a it's a different podcast discussion, but there are certain footballers who you are there's something there, there's certain clubs where you name the club and one player comes to mind for that club, and that's Totti in Roma. Um, like it's probably Gerard in Liverpool, I would say, for a lot of people. Um but Toddy is a definite that that is the player you think of when you think of the club. And that's a testament to just giving a shit. Like and that that's what Newcastle that's 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 a bit of a, an issue with Newcastle, I think, with um what's gonna happen now. So say when Chelsea when the money came in, there were players who've been there, really good players. Who would probably stick or who probably stuck around for another few seasons because the money came in and they were surrounded by even better players. Mm-hmm. Similar with City when the money came in and things like that. Like with Newcastle, like there's very, very few of that squad that you can kind of go, oh yeah, they're Newcastle true and true. Let's kind of use them as the linchpin for the squad. And regardless of who we bring in or the type of players we bring in, um, you know, we can kind of, you know, you know, we'll still be Newcastle because this player will still be here. Yeah. And I think that's really, really interesting. But it's, it's also, I, and I don't mean to get like too bogged down in Newcastle because I know we have another bit to talk about, but like 
Have you seen some of the players that are being linked with? It's like Jesse Lingard. I'm like, had you bought the money in the fucking world? Why are you buying yeah. Jesse Lingard? Like, he he will probably he will probably shine at a club like Luke Castle to be fair. But I mean, you're right in in your comparison with, with Chelsea. You know, when Abramovich came in, there were still players that hung about there for for a couple of years. Like, fuck me, John Terry clung on to every fucking trophy he get his hands on to. Like, you know, um, but but yeah, like there will be players that will be there for couple of years um but some of them players will probably thrive when better quality comes in around them like True. i really believe like just taking chelsea as an example frank lampard went to a completely different level when better players were brought in around him and i think the same could happen for some of those newcastle players like i think the majority of them will be you know backups that are shipped off in the summer um and there obviously is the talk of Who's going to be the manager to come in? I don't think Conte will come into Newcastle at the moment. You know, I think he'll come in when they've had maybe a few seasons and they've bought a couple of players and then he can have his own. But there's no way he's going to go to a team that's going to struggle to challenge for mid-table at the moment. I see Zinedine Zidane now picked as the top option Jeez. for the Newcastle owners. And there's no way, like, I mean, there there is going to have to be a, a period of transition. You know, you're going to have to get, you know, like an Eddie Howe or someone like that to come in but you know there, there is there is another part of Newcastle that's um you kind of want to chat about tonight um Newcastle with pride the LGBTQ uh fan group at Newcastle um there's been some interesting things come out from them Steve over the last yeah. week or so um there's even I've read an article today that said the, the Newcastle takeover can improve conditions for, for the LGBTQ community. <laughs> um, I don't know. Um, <laughs> we obviously, we know the situation with, with, um, LGBTQ in Saudi Arabia. Um, it's not great. And United with Pride kind of said that they kind of felt forced to welcome the Saudi owners in. So. Yeah. You would think they probably like, are in a very difficult a, situation. Yeah, they are. I I think they're almost in an impossible situation. So, but I think sometimes when you're backed into a situation like that, your best bet is to say nothing. Um, it felt like they didn't have to come out with this statement, but I also get that if they said nothing, then people would have criticised them for not, you know, not saying it. And so they were probably backed into a corner and and weren't really sure like the best approach but what i can't believe they said was that the saudi investment fund owning newcastle would improve lgbtq rights in saudi arabia like what like yeah. i don't even understand the thought process behind that especially because they'd say the united the united kingdom is a global leader in terms of lgbtq plus fan engagement i mean not a month ago we had the manager of one of the biggest teams in football in the premier league having to sit down and ask his fans not to sing a song about another player being a rent boy. I don't think the UK is the global leader that United with Pride think they are. So mm-hmm. um, I'm, I'm, I'm of the opinion that like this whole takeover has probably put a huge amount of people in a position where they're like, all right, okay, so if I come out and celebrate the takeover, I'm going to be criticised. If I come out and say nothing about the takeover, I'm going to be criticised. If I come out and criticise the takeover, I'm going to be criticised. So 
yeah, from a fan point of view, it it really is putting a lot of them in a in a really bad position. Like it's like look at Brendan, you know, with you know Abramovich and Chelsea. Like I'm sure Brendan cares about the planet as much as the rest of us, and he knows how you know Roman Abramovich made his money. Um, and that must be a difficult thing for people, you know. Likewise, you know, there are there are so many so many instances where football fans and sports fans in general, because it's not it's not just limited to football, but have to kind of just grit their teeth and suck it in the air and go, okay, it is what it is. We have to we have to deal with it. But I think the reaction from other LGBTQ plus groups in the UK to the statement. I think it became pretty clear pretty quickly that they got this one wrong. Um, and look, if, if United with Pride come out every single week and, you know, if there's a, an atrocity involving a member of, of that community in, in Saudi Arabia and make a statement and highlight it and it's highlighted at a Newcastle game and it's picked up by media, then great. Maybe it will make a difference, but like, this is a family who believe that they have a God-ridden, God-given right to rule Saudi Arabia. I'm not sure they're going to be swayed on their policies um, regarding the LGBTQ plus community or women or, you know, uh, anyone uh, that they disagree with. So it, it, to me, it's been just another reason why this takeover is an absolutely horrible thing for football that it's forcing communities and and organizations like united with pride who've done really really good work to now look like the bad guys like mm-hmm. in what in what like it's not fair on them um but how can we see it any other way we can't look at it through any other lens so yeah it's it, it is quite sad for them because like myself i have family and friends that are gay and you know it's it's you know I've been kind of in a way I kind of feel like I've been raised around it it's not like it's, it's an issue at all it's not and yeah. I think it's really sad that there are still states out there still people who care about who other people love and it's ridiculous you know you can love whoever the hell you want like it's not for anyone to dictate who you should be in love with or who you fancy or whatever like you know it's it's completely nobody's business like honest to god and for you to be murdered or beheaded or whatever just because of who you love is absolutely ridiculous. Like, and I can understand they probably feel so uncomfortable with the situation. You know, they don't know what to say. You know, will they be like, I know gay gunners have a flag, like a lot of different fan groups, but gay gunners have a flag up permanently at the Emirates. And like, will, will United with Pride even be allowed that at St. James's Park? Like there was obviously the conversation about uh, rainbow laces. Will Newcastle players be allowed to mm. to wear rainbow laces? I know s- certain periods of the season. I think the captain's armband is in, ra- in rainbow colours as well. Yeah. Like is is that going to be all abolished at Newcastle now? And I I totally get like I know Phil's friend Fletch um, was meant to send us in a voice note, and maybe we'll we'll have that on Sunday night, um, because he obviously wanted to have a bit of a a chat about what we talked about on Sunday. Yeah. Uh, and other Newcastle fans, like they they've been like particularly my my mate Moses has chatted to me about how everyone's subscribing to Disney and blah 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 and yet as soon as somebody takes over Newcastle it's fucking the worst. And like I totally get his point of view, but at the same time, the thing that annoys me the most is the Saudis' beliefs and things and what they're going to bring 
to the city in general. Like, if if United with Pride came out and had a big statement, like, we don't agree with this, like, Newcastle fans would have been up in arms. They would have been ripping because this group had decided, oh, we, we don't we don't agree with this and blah, 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 and stop trying to ruin a good thing for this club. And not really the truth. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just... It's, it's, every football club should be a club for everyone. Yeah. And nobody should feel uncomfortable or awkward about going down to a football match to support their team. And that includes, you know, LGBT, uh, women, children, anybody. There's been problems across the board, uh, and there's problems still going to be ongoing for a long time. And it's just, it's just sickening that we're still in the 21st century and these problems are, are still fucking coming up. It's just, it's ridiculous. And we, we, we will just have to see, I suppose, over the next while, over the next year or two, kind of what the Saudi owners, you know, implement at St. James's Park. Like, let's be quite honest here. The public investment fund, you know, take your face for a shite. The, do you really think that if Newcastle are massively underperforming and they've pumped this money into Newcastle, they're not going to have a fucking say? They definitely are. If the, if Steve Bruce is fucking still Getting the results he has been the last month, he'll be hooked out the door before Christmas. Actually, oh. you know what? I think he'll be out anyway. Yeah, like I think Christmas. Yeah, they need him. They need they need to make a splash as a coach to kind of attract. Like Steve Bruce, you know, Manchester United legend that he is, is not attracting the world quality players to Newcastle, regardless of whether he turns the results around or not. And I don't believe he will turn the results around. Um, but just going back to your point there about football should be for everyone. That that's the key to it. Um, and what the public investment fund by how their bankroll says is that some people are better than others and some people's lives are worth more than others and that's not what football should be at all because why do footballers take a knee before the start of every game in Premier League it's because they're saying that black lives matter just as much as white lives and we should start thinking about black lives that way so I think there's a huge amount there but also Newcastle fans like uh, this is just this is not about Newcastle fans, right? Because this is about every any any argument that starts with "What about blah?" is not an argument. That's mm-hmm. that, like because you could do that about literally every single discussion you have. You could turn the argument around by saying, "Well, what about blah?" You see it in a completely different world at the moment with Sally Rooney's book, where she's decided that she doesn't want. Because she supports the Palestinian people, she doesn't want her book published in Israel. And everyone's like, but what about China? You're getting it published in China, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, yeah, but like, have the argument she's having. Let's talk about Israel. Let's talk about Palestine. And likewise, when Newcastle fans say, but what about Boeing? What about Disney? And I'm like, yes, but I want to talk to you about your football club. Because if I'll tell you one thing, if the Saudi Arabian government had bought Sunderland, you would be on this side of the argument as well. Like, so don't pretend yeah. that you wouldn't. Absolutely, uh, yeah. Like, so I just think I, I don't get involved. I, I am now at the stage where I'm instantly muting or blocking people on Twitter who start, who come back to me in a conversation with, but what about? Because it's not an argument. Like, you, what you were trying to do when you say that is, I don't want to discuss the thing you want to discuss. I want to talk about this other thing instead. That's fine. We can talk about that another day. But we're talking about Newcastle. And we're talking about the, the LGBTQ plus community in Newcastle at the moment. And you nailed it. Like, I've grown up around, you know, gay family members and gay friends. I, like, I the only time I think about it is when they're in trouble, when something 
bad has happened to their community that they all have to suffer from because that's what happens because it's mm-hmm. it's such a small community because it is 10% of the population or whatever when something happens to one of them it affects all of them likewise you know my black friends when something happens mm-hmm. in the US or in England or in Ireland you know to to someone of their same same skin color affects it affects them as well it's a privilege that you and I never like even to a certain extent like i mean you know obviously in Northern Ireland, Northern Ireland has well-trodden issues that we don't need to go into on this podcast. But, you know, there are communities within the North and, you know, certain people feel certain ways when something happens to certain people or whatever. Like all of these things, like you and, and, and even going back to just pure football, you know, look at what happened to Liverpool fans when Sean Cox got attacked. Every single Liverpool fan felt that. Is that's what you do. You're part of a community. You're part of a group. And when something happens to one of you, it happens to all of you. And now how can Newcastle fans say, or gay Newcastle fans say, yeah, I'm proud to be gay. I'm proud to be part of this community. I'm proud of this football club. When the people who own the football club you support are beheading people just like you back in Saudi Arabia. That's where I get. Like, that's where I find it really, really difficult to kind of square the two. But again, I don't blame the Newcastle fans or the, the, you know, the members of the LGBTQ plus community who are fans of Newcastle because they have not, they've not asked to be put in this position. It's the club and it's the Premier League that have put them in this position. And it goes back to exactly what you said on the Sunday night podcast. It goes back to 1992, goes back to the Premier League starting. And that's when the genie got out with a bottle and there's no putting it back in. And we, we are going to keep having moral dilemmas like this. And it's, I'd much rather be talking about football, but this is what, this is the topic of conversation because that's, you know, this is much more important. This is people's lives we're talking about. And I think I feel, I feel really, really bad for, for gay Newcastle fans right now because I don't know how they must feel. Um, and their representative group could have probably done a better job at, at kind of outlining how they felt. But again, that's not their, it's not the fans' fault that that's, that statement was kind of ham-fisted, you know? Um, mm-hmm. It's just really confusing times, I think, for football fans. Yeah. I, I think LGBTQ plus groups across, you know, Premier League, English, English League clubs will, will feel this as well because in a way, the Premier League have just kind of said to them, we don't really give a fuck about you and we're we're doing all these campaigns and all this bullshit to do throughout the year to try and show that they care and they really don't. I mean, it goes back to, you know, taking the knee. Like, even if you look like Marcus Alonso just decided not to take the knee anymore. Yeah. I'm not shot with his teammates about it. Um, yeah. It's sort of the same sort of kind of nonsense. Um, but it's sad. Like that's, that's, that's just the way the world is. And you're right. It's, it's, we're not really here chatting about football. We're chatting about the stuff going on in the background. And, you know, when I, and I'm sounding here like I'm a 70 year old pensioner, like, <laughs> but when I grew up watching football, like that's not what I thought about. You know, I just wanted to see Henri on the pitch. And if Henri wasn't playing, I was like, Oh Jesus. And um, we didn't think about the stuff that was going on behind the scenes. We didn't think about, you know, the financial situation of the club. It was just, next game and who we're playing and how we're going to beat them yeah and now it's just all this other shit that's going on and it's a sad state of affairs and i just think that's the way the game is going there's just no real it just feels like there's going to be no real love for it in a couple of years time and 
I think if, I, if I'm ever lucky enough to have any children, you know, would, would I even want to be bothered bringing them up to support a, a football team when it's just all, like, it's it's just going to be all franchisees. That's, yeah. that's the way it's going to be. It, it is going to get very Americanized, I think. And there are parts of American sport, which you and Phil did mention, are good. And football probably would really benefit from. But at the same time, that's not really football, is it? Um, we, we love football for the reason why. It's yeah. it's exciting. We don't know what's going to happen next, really. And especially in England, like any team can beat another on its day. Yeah. And unfortunately, we're just kind of stuck talking here about this sort of stuff when really we, we shouldn't be. We should all be chatting about how well our team played or how shit they played. And fucking, you know, we're playing United this weekend or we're playing Liverpool or, you know, whatever. But... Yeah, like when, when yeah when when Arsenal are playing Newcastle, like fans shouldn't have to be having a discussion about whether Rwanda is worse than Saudi Arabia. Like you know, it's stuff like that, like that are like you know, it wasn't part of the conversation I had growing up. It was like, oh, uh, Freddie Lumberg is shit. Like you know, there's, <laughs> that, was the, that was the level after, like you know, but like it. it it's an uh, it's an interesting. One. I think the only like, and I don't, I don't, I don't want to be negative about it, but the only thing that's going to save football, the only thing that's going to save football, is fan owned clubs. That clubs have to be owned fifty percent by fans, or at least you know fan fan fifty percent of the board has to be fans and things like that. So, um, I just feel we're in a like I I agree with you. We're in a really weird place where. For a long time, the soul has been ripped out of football. I think that happened, you know, a couple of decades ago. It now feels like the heart's gone too. Um, and that's really, that's really, really hard to come back from. Yeah. I, I can, I can actually already see, like I've kind of went on to rugby more, um, in a way, but I can see it sort of happening in rugby, but I don't think it will ever get to that level, uh, that, that football is like, um, you can even see now in international rugby, they're playing autumn international games, which, you know, they've never really done before. Like Ireland are playing New Zealand and Japan and, and Argentina coming up. Uh, and it's just to get more big games in, in the year to kind of make more money. Um, hopefully rugby will never will. And I, I do in a way kind of enjoy the fact now that we, we do get to see Ireland play the likes of New Zealand not in a World Cup more mm-hmm. often. Um, because obviously we, we played them in 2019 and that ended really, really not good for us. <laughs> so, um, yes, Steve, I think, um, I think that that'll do us for Newcastle. Yeah. Um, got a Newcastle chat again. Yeah. But, like, uh, it's, it's the only story in football at the moment. So, like, yeah, it, it makes is, sense. of course. Yeah. Um, but before we finish up, any other babble? Now, me and Phil just generally chat about whatever at the end of, of TNB. Um, tonight, I kind of want to chat about tomorrow night for me because I'm going back to Ulster Rugby for the first time since before the pandemic. First sporting event since before the pandemic. So it's, it's actually really exciting to think that I'm going to be in a sports ground again and there's going to be a crowd and we're going to see some live sport. That's, yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, I'm 
quite jealous because I haven't found I haven't found the sporting because I'm not I'm not a huge rugby fan like I'll I'll, I'll watch yeah. Ireland I won't I'm not necessarily a Leinster fan um at all um but I am I do look enviously at like my friends going to starting to go to games and things like that and there's a couple actually for me I think the one thing I might do is I think Ireland the Irish women are playing Sweden in Tala Stadium which is not far from me. So I think that might be the the first one I first sporting event I kind of attend as a fan um coming up because it's one of those things I miss I mean, I miss like the dodgy burger at half time I miss the shit tea or coffee in the yeah. van I miss that that and I miss the the people you know because you're you're sitting in the same general area as they are every week and things like that so yeah I, the, even just the buzz of like oh look there's like 5,000 or 6,000 people here like that's that's going to be like the thing that I kind of miss the most I think yeah I haven't even kind of thought that shit you know what if I get COVID going to this but I mean I, I think I'll be fairly safe considering we are outside um I mean we, we, we I've taken the day off work tomorrow I'm going down tomorrow afternoon and uh, going to have a few pints and have a bit of chat with mates and then go to the game. So like, just, just to do all that again, it's going to be great. It's just, it's, I've just been really excited about it all week. It's kind of what's got me through, um, <laughs> like the working week, the fucking long drawn out working week. Uh, it's so, lines, is it? Yeah. The yeah, lines, yeah. 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 So it should, should be a decent game also in good form. So I mean, it, it is going to be, it's going to be pretty exciting. Um, and Ravenhill, obviously, it's great, great ground. Um, yeah, I've been there once, not for a, 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 a press launch there. It's a nice, it's a nice ground. Um, what's it, is it, is it one of those grounds where, like, you'll need, like, 10 layers of clothes on because it's always freezing? You see, usually, yes, in the winter, but, you see, up here at the moment, it's been kind of okay, temperature-wise. But then again, I know I'll go tomorrow in a pair of shorts and t-shirt and be absolutely ball throws. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. <laughs> we, we, we'll see how, how Ulster get on, but yeah, absolutely buzzing to get back to some kind of live sport tomorrow. And, you know, Ireland women, Katie McCabe, she's, she's on top form for Arsenal ladies at the minute, so. She was involved in both goals this evening. It's currently 2-0 against Hoffenheim and she was involved in both goals, so. Yeah, I mean, Katie McCabe has had a great season so far and she's having her own personal goal of the season competition, so. I mean, I seen Keenan McCabe play in Lurgan for the first time a number of years ago. She was playing up at uh, Monty Park, uh, yeah. the Republic of Northern Ireland, funny enough, and that's why I was there. And I mean, even then she was she was top class. You know, the Republic were levels levels above Northern Ireland on that on that occasion. So, I mean, it's great to have uh, an Irish fellow Irish uh, person, I suppose, um, yeah. in the Arsenal team. Um, and especially one that that's, you know, you could really argue is really top class, like world class player in in, in the women's game. So uh, it's it's delighted to have another Irish person representing Arsenal. It's 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 always nice when people from this island um do well across the water. So it's um, a funny yeah. one because obviously like Arsenal, not necessarily in recent history, but like Lee, I close my eyes and I can picture Liam Brady in an Arsenal jersey or. Mm-hmm. Frank Stapleton or David Leary. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's, it's an interesting one that like that kind of, cause especially cause you know, Brady was involved in the youth set up there for so long. You would have thought yeah. more of the young players would have came through. Before we go, I have a question for you cause it's been on my mind all day since I saw it. 
So okay, shoot. The new Batman movie, right? Yes. Three hours long. <laughs> Where do you stand on the length of movies? Because I have a very, very like, I have a set time that I feel a movie should be. I'm just wondering, like, where where you stand on it. I think it really depends on the type of movie. Um, like, Endgame, Avengers Endgame, for example, I did not give one single shout that that was over three hours long. I mean, I enjoyed every single second of that film. Um, in fact, I would go as far as arguing it's been the biggest roller coaster of a film I've ever watched. Like, I actually cried at the end. Um, I'm not afraid that that's tough. Real Men Cry, just so you know. So, yeah. Especially superhero movies. Yeah, especially as superhero <laughs> movies um, that you've been watching for like 10 years. And, yeah. yeah. Oh, no, look, I, I, I love the Avengers Endgame, but my issue with it was the length of it. <laughs> well, yeah. If you're watching, if you're watching Endgame and Infinity War in one day, I mean, yeah. I mean, you could watch Lord of the Rings quicker. Yeah. Um, I don't know, like, I think a nice, if you're just looking for a nice chilled out Sunday film, like an hour and a half or 45, I think is enough. Um, but you really, like, I thought the Irishman was, it was a real tough one to get through. Like, it's, it's a great film. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it just, fuck, it was long. It was long, like, I think, was it like three hours, 45 minutes? From? 345. Three, yeah, 345. So I'm, I am team 90 minutes for movies um, because my attitude to a movie that's three hours long is make a fucking TV series if that's what you need to do to tell your story. Um, So there has been research done, right? There's been loads of research done to say that you really can only concentrate for 40 minutes at a time. And that's why certain... You'll notice the pacing in movies that, like, they build up, they build up, they build up for about 40, 30 minutes, 40 minutes, and then there's a lull. And that's because they know you can't concentrate for, you know, that long. They let it lull for a bit, and then they build up again. And uh-huh. I just think that anything anything over two hours is obnoxious. Uh, now, part of this comes from I almost exclusively watch bad sci-fi movies that are only, like, 90 minutes long, and because that's all the budget of 20 euro can stretch to. Um, it's Sharknado or Sharknado or Octopus. Octopus, yeah, yeah, all all the classics. Oh yeah. Um, but I, I, I just think that if you can't tell your story in a movie in in two hours, you know, I'll I'll even go to two hours. Right, two hours is fine because I'll spend two hours watching a football match. So how can I not spend two hours watching a movie? But I, I just think it it, it, it it's. I mean, it's making an assumption that I don't have better things to be doing with my time as well. That's the other thing I don't like about what Do you not think I have a life to live that I, I can sit here? Like, I I don't know. It, it It's one of those things that really annoys me. But I have a feeling I had a quiz. But now that I know, I, I remember how much you like superhero movies. I feel like you're going to ace this quiz. So only four movies, four superhero movies in Hollywood history have gone over the three-hour mark. Mm-hmm. Do you know what those movies are? Well, Endgame is one of them. Yeah. Um, over three so, hours. Yeah. Three of them. Three of them. Three of them were directed by Zack Snyder. Uh, Watchmen. Yeah. Um, 
Well, are we talking about this the Snyder Cut of Justice League? We are talking about Snyder Cut, so that's the other. So there's one movie left. Um, what else did he do? Um, he done... Um, oh, what's the last one? Hmm. I'm trying to think of what Zack Snyder's actually done. Um, I gave up on the last one, you can tell me. It's Batman versus Superman. Oh, fuck's sake. Which is... I have no, I have no qualms about saying this. The worst movie I have ever seen. They stop killing each other because their mothers have the same name. Mm, yeah. Yes, fuck. I spent three hours watching this movie and you stop beating the shit out of each other because your mothers have the same name. No, I'm sorry. You have the best paid writers in the world. You have some of the most creative people in the world and that's what you come up with. No, I'm sorry. Not after three hours. Do you know what I think is the biggest issue for superhero movies? I think it's really hard to get them wrong because they have so much material to take from in terms of comic books. Um, I just think it's, I just think there's no excuse for making a bad superhero movie. And DC seem to do it more often than, than not. Um, I think Marvel just have it down to a T. They yeah. have great writers, great directors, great producers, everything. They're fantastic. And um, DC need to up their game big time because they did have some good films like, I still believe The Dark Knight is one of the greatest masterpieces ever made in terms of any film, not just superhero. It is fucking fantastic. It's a fantastic film. And anyone who disagrees can go fuck their face. Um, <laughs> but yeah, superhero movies, love them. I, I just love being taken on a journey, on an adventure. And I don't really care how long it is, as long as it's interesting. Especially when you have films that are based on books. You're looking out for things that you've read in the books. Yeah, that's true. In terms of Harry Potter, I think Harry Potter had so much material to do so much more, and it didn't. But yeah. the films were still great. But um, yeah, that 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 that. I mean, I could go on there. Honestly, I could go on for longer. But I'm I'm quite conscious that um, <laughs> our our Bobble listeners probably have you know <laughs> tuned out. Like, <laughs> she also ago. ruined the end of uh, Batman vs Superman on them. So sorry yeah. about that if anyone hasn't seen it. I I don't blame people for clocking out when we start talking <laughs> about Batman vs Superman. But listen, that'll do us for another Thursday night babble. Um, you can find us on all social media at Football Babble, even though I don't agree with it. Um, Steve, do you want to do the Patreon link since I normally oh, do? It? Fuck, I thought you knew you were gonna is it Patreon forward slash Football Babble. <laughs> It's patreon.com forward slash football bubble. Uh, Brandon was very disappointed in you. Um, <laughs> folks, thanks very much. Uh, we're back on Sunday evening. Um, hopefully with the full squad. There might be some injuries. We don't know. We'll have to find out. Um, so check us out on Sunday. Thanks very much. Good luck. On the edge.